Throwing fire extinguishers at each other's heads, but not breaking our COVID bubble. Welcome to Hand of Pod. to episode 404 of Hand of Pod. This is not an error message. Hey, uh, I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined by Andres. Hello, welcome. English Dan. Good evening. Santi. Hey. And Tony. Hello. Santi asked earlier when the last time was that we recorded with five people in the, in the virtual studio. Uh, the answer to that, Santi, is episode 398. So... Possibly not as long ago as you thought it was, but uh, it feels like some time ago because it was way yeah. before the Copa America. Um, anyway, we have had three rounds of matches since we last recorded. For those of you who don't follow us on Twitter and or didn't see my explanatory tweet, um, last week I was uh, the recipient of a very live demonstration of why some countries are not giving under-40s the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. And that basically meant that I wasn't really in a state to record. So... We decided not to. We're recording late this week uh, on Friday, in fact, because of the fact that there was a midweek round of matches. And as a result, three sets of league games have been played since we last recorded. I'm not going to go through all of the results for you right now, but we may as well just go through the top five or six teams in the league and the bottom five or six teams in the league so that you get an idea of who's had the best and the worst starts. At the top of the table, after three matches, are San Lorenzo with seven points. Independiente, uh, dead level with them, also with seven points and also with a goal difference of plus three. The only difference is San Lorenzo have scored four and Independiente have scored three. Uh, on six points each, we have, oh, loads more teams actually here. Uh, River, Lanús, Newells, Patronato, Godoy Cruz and Atletico Tucumán all have six points. So that was your top eight rather than your top five or six um down at the bottom the only teams yet to record a win i'm just going to check that that is true yes it is um are also the only teams yet to hit three points at all and those are Veles, who have two points from three matches boca who have two points from three matches defensa y justicia platense and union who all have just the one point from their opening three games um in Boca's case at least there is of course a reason for that many of you will already be aware of it we will go into it in a little bit more detail in a few minutes but first of all does anyone want to jump in and just give general impressions of who they think have started the season particularly well who who you've been surprised by so far well I I I will be the first one because I had this to like uh, from just when we were about to start recording, and it's something that we, we mentioned, and I mentioned uh, about Ortigosa, who uh, went back to San Lorenzo. And the last round, he had his first episode in which I, I, I said it would be funny, and, and it was, uh, because he, uh, San Lorenzo played against Boca, with, Boca played with the reserves, because uh, I know if we mentioned, I think we didn't, uh, the problems that, that Boca had when they went to play against Atletico Mineiro. And uh, as a result, Boca had to play with the kids. And, of course, they played against Banfield and San Lorenzo. And in the last, latest match against San Lorenzo, uh, well, San Lorenzo defeated Boca Chonil and uh, Ortigosa scored the, the second one uh, through a penalty. And apparently, I don't know if it was Cardona who said something to him like, well, don't bother the kids or, or something like that. And when he scored the penalty, he apparently said something like, with, not with Orti, not with Orti. Orti was, because it stands for the Osa. Uh, and uh, then apparently he said that uh, he doesn't do the panenka against the kids because Cardona did when he played against River in the final of the former 
tournament. Uh, so it was, I think, quite quite funny for for the round that has been played. I mean, that's something, right? When Cardon is trying to tell other people not to be an arsehole, it's really a you know stones in glass houses kind of situation. I think because he's. A, a, Quite a bit of an arsehole on many occasions, but so that was um, that was quite interesting. But uh, yeah, I think Boca obviously has been the big story of the last couple of weeks. Um, if I remember rightly, our last recording came just before this whole tsunami of shit. It did indeed. Uh, yeah. Landed. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the first leg in which Boca were well, yes, pretty Yes, and and that basically happened again. And as a result, they decided to fight everyone in Belo Horizonte, more, more or less. Uh, free fire extinguishers and water coolers around. All got in a whole state. And yeah, as a result, as we've hinted at, couldn't play any of the of the team that went to Brazil, which basically left um, yeah a load of teenagers and and youngsters to pick up the slack and. And they, in, in fact, played their first game of this kind of double header in the league against Banfield. Um, 24 hours after those same reserves uh, played a reserve match in a classic bit of forward planning from Boca. Basically, I think the, I think the idea must have been, you know, to just push it, push them through, make them play, and say, "Oh, look, they've already played. Uh, you better let us off now." Um, which, I mean tends to work, especially when you're Boca, but this time they didn't get away with it um, and looked fairly silly uh, in in the meantime. Um, but that performance against Boca, I must admit, I didn't see the game. I was up in Tucumán celebrating my, my kid Noel's second birthday, but my father-in-law did watch it, uh, being a Boca fan, and he was very impressed with what he saw uh, from the kids. I thought... Um, this this youngster Valentin Barco, who had actually played the the first match, I remember, uh, he did very well at left back over the last over all three games really we've had of the season, um, and I can imagine he'd be playing a fair bit more because, you know, speaking of another Colombian with with Arsish te- tendencies, uh, Boca really don't want Frank Fabra anywhere near their first team. It seems. Um, so I think uh, this kind of crisis or mess up or clusterfuck, which whatever you want to dub it, has has played into his hands and probably uh, probably will do a couple of the other kids in Boca good because you know it's a team that haven't really brought through that much young talent over the last few years and and we saw that they're there. I mean, you know, if you put eleven in a team, they're probably not going to get results, but. In isolation, with a couple of people who have played more than four games, uh, they could be interesting. Yeah, Fabra actually started at left back against San Lorenzo, as did uh, well, as did Edwin Cardona. Edwin Cardona didn't start at left back, obviously, but he started on the left flank. Um, but that, I think, arguably says more about, as you say, as you kind of hinted, Dan, it says more about Fabra's current standing among Boca's technical staff than anybody else. And Barco's looked great. Uh, one of the things that I did enjoy was that uh, against Banfield, Boca's starting fullbacks were called Eros and Valentin. Uh, I quite enjoyed that. And also against Banfield, Sexy football. indeed, yeah. Also against Banfield, it was the highest. The the eleven shirt numbers in the starting lineup added up to the highest total in the history of the Argentine league. Apparently, <laughs> uh, obviously, just shy of that with Cardona and Fabra both coming back in for the San Lorenzo match. But um, yeah, with lots of number 40-somethings and a couple of number 50-somethings and, and yeah, all the rest. Actually, I think I have another another statistic, which is that uh, Valentin Barco became also the fourth youngest player to ever feature for Boca. Wow, only the fourth. He's, what yeah. is he, 17? Something like that? He, he was 16 a few days before turning 17 when he broke this bracket. And do you know who's the, who's the second uh, youngest player to ever play for Boca? Go on. You'll be surprised. It's uh, Leandro Paredes, actually. Uh, oh, well. Who's youngest? The youngest is a 15-year-old who played in the 80s, apparently. I'd never heard of him. Oh, well. 
Well, thanks for that, Santi. And speaking of yeah. age records, we've had another one broken, and it was broken merely a day or so after I mentioned in the recording that it might be on. Uh, you will remember, if you listened to our last episode, that I, I did what I've been doing annually at about this time of year for the last couple of years now and pointed out that Jose Sand was closing in on the Argentine top flight's all-time goal-scoring record. I mentioned this time last year that that wasn't going to happen because of the fact that we had cup competitions coming up. and It still hasn't happened, but any goal he scored after September last year in actual league competition was going to see the record taken. And perhaps fittingly, in the end, when he did take the record, it happened not just on any day, but on his 41st birthday. Um, He has since extended it because he also scored uh, two goals Again, in Lanusa's second match against, where is it, Colón in a 4-1 away win, um, meaning that he was, what, 41 years and six or seven days old when he scored those two. Um, but he is now the top, the, the oldest goal scorer in the history of the Argentine top flight. As he Dan pointed out... a record against someone even older than him, which is fairly... Yeah, impressive. yeah, I was going to say, as, as, as you pointed out on our WhatsApp group... Uh, Banfield's not Banfield who, who did they play in the first match uh, Atletico, Tucumán. Atletico Tucumán's goalkeeper uh, in that match Christian Lucchetti is not only older than Sand but also in the past has taken penalties so mm-hmm. the, the opportunity to see Sand's record at some point overtaken uh, by Lucchetti during this season is there he's what 43 and a half or something isn't he yeah. um, I really hope he gets a penalty though one record that uh, one record that Lucchetti might not be able to to break is uh, whether Sun becomes the top goal scorer of this campaign. Which uh, actually he has automatically become become a uh, a front runner, I think, for that title, considering the fact that he scored like four goals in the yeah, first three yeah. games or something. Yeah, he scored two in each Definitely. of his first two matches. He didn't score uh, in this midweek round, but he is still currently top of the goal scoring charts with four goals. Uh, there are a couple of other players just behind them with three. Um, but yeah, I mean, surely he's he started in fantastic Luke, form. Lucchetti can, can score if he, he wants. If Atletico to command uh, is uh, awarded a penalty and he wants to take it, perhaps he can score with 43 years. Yeah, something that we, we did mention as well in the group is that uh, Lucchetti has also not taken a penalty in like six years or something. Six or seven years, yeah. 2014, I think, was the date we... Well, somebody managed to find and mention. Pretty much when Pulgar Rodriguez went back to Atletico Tucumán. It's funny that, isn't it? It's almost as if yeah, it's not quite a coincidence. coincidence. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Sand has begun well and Lanusa way up the table. San Lorenzo, with this early start, like are San Lorenzo actually looking good all of a sudden this season? Or is a large chunk of this um, top of the table form down to the fact that they were able to play against Boca's children um, yeah. in one of their three I, I games. Say, yeah, I would say the same I would in the Benenda. I mean, you have to take into account the, the, their opponents um, and the fact that we were only three games into this tournament. I mean, both teams haven't been exactly tried yet against, uh, you know, big bigger guns like, I don't know, Colón or Lanús or River. Yeah, San Lorenzo have played, they got a draw with Arsenal in the opening round and then they've got a 1-0 home win over Central Córdoba the Santiago yeah. del Estero, which we might scoff at, but it is worth pointing out that in their previous two meetings, uh, Central Cordoba scored four goals against them in, I think, both of those matches. Um, yeah, I think that speaks more about, Boca. you know, San Lorenzo under Dabobe than San Lorenzo itself. Indeed. And Independiente, who are second, I'm sure you've got a few words to say about who they've played so far and what you've made of them, Santi. Yeah, I mean, the first match week was... Very, very disappointing because, um, I mean, you have to take into account that back then Independiente were um, still in contention in the Sudamericana run of 16 against Santos. But um, um, again, um, um, in opposition to every other team that played uh, continental competitions in that uh, in that uh, week, um, including their opponents, Argentinos, Independiente played with, our, with all their starters. So the fact that they scraped a nil-nil draw against a, I guess a team of um, Argentinos reserves, but not reserves, but you know, not the first team, was pretty pretty disappointing, especially considering that they then got red, got uh, they then went out of the of the Sudamericana after that against Santos, which 
we, we will discuss later, I, I think. I think after that, uh, considering the, um, well, how crushing that uh, that defeat was, um, I think they managed to to get something, I think, against the um, first, uh, first Estudiantes and then Patronato, which in fairness, I think it's two teams that's, with the squad at their disposal, I think these are still teams that Independiente should beat. The question is whether uh, Independiente could, you know, um, continue to play with the with the approach they they took against Santos in the second leg, which was really really aggressive, high pressing, um, with a lot of chances. And I don't think we have seen that yet. I mean. It was a little obvious because after all, you have to consider the fact that they are managed by Julio Cesar Falcioni, which is basically the the Latin American Sam Allardyce or something. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I still have the feeling that this in the painter side, despite all their all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes and the fact that they still still managed to to make a signing, but he hasn't been able to play because they still are in debt, which is ridiculous. They still have a squad that can at least, at the very least, fight at the top of the table if um, their potential is, if they can reach their potential. And I think there's still a lot of uh, untapped potential in that team. It's a matter of whether Falcioni is willing to to play to, to his strengths, to this team's strengths. And so far, there have been signs, at least, in the paint have become better at pressing and... Uh, uh, I think um, Silvio Romero needed to find the net, and he did so against Barato, which could mean uh, could be a good sign for the future. But um, there's still a lot of work to be done, uh, and I know this is a good start in terms of you know seven points uh, out of nine. But uh, yeah, I mean, I hope we can we can still you know see this team grow. Only time will tell. But so far, I think I still think there's a lot of work to be done. Forget about it, Santi. Title's yours, mate. I've got no doubt whatsoever. One, <laughs> one team who really might be in the title hunt this year, with no offence to Independiente, who are a point ahead of this team at the moment, um, and who haven't really taken domestic competition very seriously for a few years, are Riber. They've scored eight goals in their opening three games. Um, they've only conceded two. They look very switched on. They're the only Argentine side left in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, it's not been a fantastic couple of weeks for Argentina's representatives in either of the continental competitions. Um, well, they, they faced another Argentine side, so indeed, yeah, we, we were guaranteed the Argentine side. We were guaranteed one Argentine quarterfinalist, whichever way that went. Uh, yeah, but, if you add pretty the sharp. Olympics, that's not nothing good for Argentina for indeed. a couple of weeks. No, indeed, as we'll mention a little bit later. But uh, Andres optimistic about the start of this season for River? How, how do you think the, the league is going to go? Well, clearly, if you watch uh, how they started against Colón, uh, who are the, of course, the, the champions, reigning champions, uh, it's, it was something to worry about because, uh, uh, well, uh, Colón was uh, clearly better than River at that match. Uh, and uh, with Farias, who was mentioned that he could come to River, but finally it was only rumors, uh, and it didn't, uh, it wasn't confirmed. Uh, but if you watch that game, of course, uh, from a River supporter, it was quite uh, uh, worrying, and, and, and it was, uh, especially for the future, because it was, of course, around the 16 of Copa Libertadores, then there will be Copa Argentina this week against Boca, uh, and it was yes something that well uh, that uh, there will have to be changes and it were changes and now uh, after three games in which River scored nine goals and, and conceded none goals it was uh, quite uh, uh, strange because uh, some time ago it was uh, River suffered from not being able to finish properly the, the place they created and. And the, when they had to go back to the defense, it was uh, a slow, a slow uh, coming back, and uh, the rivals uh, were easily uh, scoring on or uh, taking danger to the to the to the goal uh, defended by by Armani. And there were two changes that were key. I think it was the, first of all uh, signing uh, Brian Romero, uh, and then 
uh, to induce Colini to the team, which was, uh, I wouldn't say the, 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 a radical change only because of him, but it was, uh, 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 there was a, a more balanced team after, uh, uh, after Gallardo decided to put him into the starting line. And that's, I think it was uh, a, a massive change for Enzo Perez to be more and more, uh, I think, free. I, I wouldn't say uh, to play in similar position like he played when he was at Estudiantes, because it was a lot of time ago, 12 uh, years ago or so, but he had more freedom to play. And that's something really, really incredible. Uh, and well, after that, and after Suculini, who, who as he has, shown in the past, even scoring goals and being in the, in the box as, a, as, a, as, a, as another striker. Uh, I think the team uh, solved the, 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 uh, almost all of the problems they had, like uh, not being, as I said, uh, being able to finish the plays, the creative in attack, and also defending even, even much better. Uh, you can explain that by, by the simple data I, 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 I said. Score nine goals and concede no, no, no goals in the last three matches, including the, the, the second leg of the round of 16 of the Copa Libertadores against Argentinos, in which they win 2 0, and then defeating 4 0 to Union and uh, 3 0 to Lanús. You could say that, that uh, Union is not a, a strong strong rival, but, but Lanús were uh, and playing as a away condition. So I think that, uh, of course, the, the start was not, not, not good at all, but what uh, came after that, it was, I think, more promising. And uh, this, these simple changes made, I think, great, great things. Yeah, Dan, I think, had a tweet that I saw regarding Brian Romero's goal-scoring record in domestic competition compared with in continental competition. I can't remember exactly what it was, Dan, but it's night and day, isn't it? No, it's ridiculous. I think I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was something like he scored. Yeah, it's like 30 in 200 matches in the league or domestic competition and 20 in 25 in continental competition, something like that. Absolutely outrageous. And what have you made of Racing's start, Dan? I mean, it wasn't great in the Libertadores, but in the league, they're unbeaten. There's a I mean, title it's... challenge here, surely. They, they, I didn't mention them earlier, but they're only just below that glut of teams with six points. They've got five from three games. I mean, it's still not great. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the first two matches of the season, back-to-back nil-nils with pretty much not a single shot in in both of those. Um, I must admit, uh, like I didn't watch the Boca game, I also didn't watch the Racing game on... Um, on Saturday, and I think that was very good thinking because neither team, neither Racing or Gimnasia, mustered a shot on target in the entire game. Um, and in the first one, Racing and Vélez managed all of five between them. Uh, so that gives you some idea about how exciting those games were. And and then I managed to see the, the one on Tuesday, I think it was, uh, and Racing won. And Somehow, you know, it was just after halftime. I thought, oh, I'll run to the shops now. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, in the five minutes I was gone, there was an offside goal for Racing, a missed penalty for Aldo Civi, and a goal for Racing. Uh, so I missed almost all of the, the fun stuff in that match as well, in that five-minute burst compared to the other 85 pretty dire minutes. Um, and then Racing side up late on with their second shot on target. Uh, and second goal via Ignacio Biadi. Uh, one thing you can say about Racing is that uh, getting that first goal against them is very, very difficult. I mean, uh, they're one of only two teams this season who still are yet to concede a goal, the other one being Independiente, so not much being given away around Davashaneda, for sure. Um Obviously, the problem then comes if they do concede that that first goal, as we saw in the Libertadores, where everything just fell apart very, very quickly. Um, basically, Racing are a team that just, you know, they don't like to be rushed. They don't like to be 
obliged or cajoled into into actually playing football. Um, as long as they don't have to play football, they, they tend to squeak out some results. Um, you know, obviously it's not ideal and it's very, very painful to watch almost always, but it could be worse. I'm beaten five points out of nine. I mean, we can't expect a whole lot more out of this team than that. Um, and we also got to see Lissandra Lopez back for, this, for the first time uh, since his return. Uh, on Tuesday, he played from the start. Um, so that was nice. Yeah, I've missed both him returning and Ortigosa coming back to San Lorenzo. So it was quite a shock to the system when I saw them on the pitch in obviously separate matches and wondered whether I was hallucinating both times. Possibly, possibly. I had to comment that every single time that uh, Pisi's job is under serious threat, he out of the blue gets an unexpected win that keeps him on the job for like two or three more months. He's blessed. Yeah, we've um, we've already talked briefly about the bad week or weeks that Argentine sides have had in the Libertadores. We'll obviously talk more about that in the second half, but since we've got seven minutes before this Zoom call gets cut off and we have to take a break, uh, I'll go over the results of the, the Libertadores and Sudamericana. Um, 16th, no, last 16, the eighth of final uh, that have been played. Defensa y Justicia lost 5-1 on aggregate to Flamengo, 1-0 at home and then lost 4-1 in Rio. Uh Olimpia and Internacional uh, drew both legs nil-nil and Inter went, no, Olimpia, sorry, went through um, on penalties, which means that Olimpia will play Flamengo in the first quarter final. The second leg of that tie was actually uh, put back by a week, wasn't it? Is this right? No. Is that one of the other no. matches? Was uh, that, no, no, that was, that was Cerro Porteño, of course, which hasn't been played yet. So sorry, ignore that. I'll get to that in a second. Vélez uh, versus Barcelona. Vélez won the first leg 1-0. Barcelona won the second leg. Uh, Barcelona, Guayaquil, of course, won the second leg 3-1 to go through. They will play either Cerro Porteño or Fluminense. Their first leg, second leg, sorry, is going to be played uh, next week because Cerro Porteño's manager... Uh, lost his son to COVID uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. So the match was... It was a, it was a car crash, it wasn't COVID. Oh, really? Uh, okay, I misread something then or, or something got misreported. Um, but yeah, that, that happened anyway. So the Comebol put the second leg back out of respect. So that's yet to be decided. Uh, Boca, we've already mentioned in passing, drew both legs nil-nil with Atletico Mineiro after having a goal disallowed in both legs by VAR and then lost a terrible penalty shootout 3-1 just really low standard penalty taking on both sides uh, River drew 1-1 at home with Argentinos and then beats them 2-0 in uh, I was going to say Parque Patricios but I don't mean that do I where do I mean La Paterna thank you I knew there was a P involved somewhere <laughs> Uh, San Paulo versus Racing ended 1-1 in San Paulo and 3-1 to San Paulo in Avellaneda. And Universidad Católica versus Palmeiras uh, was 1-0 to Palmeiras in both legs, which means that we've got Cerro Porteño or Fluminense against Barcelona de Ecuador. Uh, and the winners of, of that quarterfinal will play Olimpia or Flamengo in the semis. And the other half of the draw is River against Atlético Mineiro and Sao Paulo against Palmeiras. So it could end up looking rather like the Copa Brasil by the semi-final stage um, if results go the Brazilian club's ways. In the Sudamericana, it's not that dissimilar. In the double Super Clásico Uruguayo, Peñarol came through. They lost the second leg 1-0 at home to Nacional, but having won the first leg 2-1 away, they went through on away goals. Sporting Cristal edged out Arsenal de Sarandí, uh, 3-2 on aggregate. Liga de Quito got past Gremio uh, on away goals, I think. Yes, they lost 1-0 at home and then 1-2-1 in Belo Horizonte. So they will play Atletico Paranaense in their quarterfinal. Paranaense beats America de Cali uh, 5-1 on aggregate. Independiente del Valle versus Red Bull Bragantino finished 3-1 to the Brazilians. They will play the only Argentine side left in the Sudamericana 
Rosario Central, who got a convincing 3-2 aggregate win over Deportivo Táchira, who are, uh, I mean, no disrespect to them, but they are Venezuelan. So it really hasn't been that great for Argentine sides. Atletico Junior versus Libertad was arguably the best tie in this particular round of the Sudamericana. The first leg finished 4-3 to Libertad, who were the away side, meaning that although Junior won the second leg 1-0, Libertad went through on away goals, and they will play Santos, who, as Santi's already mentioned, put Independiente out 2-1 on aggregate. So that's Sporting Cristal against Peñarol, Liga de Quito against Atletico Paranaense, Rosario Central flying the Argentine flag against Red Bull Bragantino and Santos against Libertad. Um, we will discuss all of that in a little more detail, what happened in particular. We'll probably go into slightly more detail about Boca um, after this theme music, because I think now is the best time to take a halftime break. So don't go away. Welcome back. Having said we go into more detail, I'm not really sure how much more detail we can go into about uh, the Boca situation because I feel like we kind of covered it, didn't we? Really? It was two goals that were disallowed for fairly marginal decisions and that Boca felt very aggrieved by and then they decided to get into a big fight with the security people and they insisted, as I uh, joked about at the start of the show, that they did so without breaking their COVID bubble and the AFA backed them up on that, but the Argentine government still said, well, you've got to quarantine anyway when you get back into the country. Um, It was all a bit weird. It did save us from the tedium, perhaps in some cases, or the the great heightened drama and excitement of a Super Clásico in the quarterfinal of the Copa Libertadores, because River will now meet Atletico Mineiro. Um, are they going to be very nervous about doing so based on what Atletico managed against Boca, do we think? No, I don't think um, we saw anything from another world from uh, Atletico Manero. Uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot between the two sides, but Boca probably shaded it in performances over, over the two legs. Obviously, they got very unlucky. Um you have to remember as well, I think, um, you know, we mentioned as you uh, went through the scores, the awful, awful run uh, that Argentine clubs had pretty much in, in all of the, the ties against foreign opposition in the Libertadores and uh, Sudamericana. I think it was only Central, right, who, who actually managed to beat a, a foreign club. And that was um, Tachira from, from Venezuela. Uh, and you, you, it's probably fair to take into account that the first legs of those games were all of the Argentine clubs' very first games back uh, after the winter break. Um, you could see they weren't particularly match sharp in a lot of cases. Um, and that, that uh, did play against them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, probably victims of circumstance more than anything for this kind of weird... Um, blowout that we had in in almost all the games um but i think it's going to be a different case especially with river when um when they come back i think that's it's in two weeks right or a week and a half the the next game so they should they are on the 10th and 11th i think the first legs of the quarterfinals i'm not really quite sure why they needed to play the round of 16 as early as they did given that the quarterfinals then don't kick off until two weeks after the second legs but yeah very nice but they, yeah, they shouldn't have any problem with um, with being match match ready when when they come around. It's going to be a good game, I think. Um, if Minedo managed to get off their plane without being lynched, which uh, the Boca <laughs> president Amor Amael suggested, might not be such an easy task. Indeed, yeah. Which is a bit weird because at this point that would be helping Reba out, wouldn't it? But uh, yeah, well, conundrum. First... 
the first leg of that one is in the Monumental. The second leg apparently might have up to, is it 20,000 fans present or 30,000 or something? Um, oh, back I mean, in Belo Horizonte. Uh, 15. Or six. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, but anyway, some fans could be present at it. Uh, that isn't going to be happening in the first leg here in Argentina. Anyway, still sorry, Sam, but still not decided whether it will be played in in, in the original pitch or uh, stadium, or it will be moved to Brasilia uh, because of the problems that have been in the stadium. Not only because of the security issues, but also with the the the, the, the awful uh, state of the of the of the grass uh, uh, that when Boca played there, it was obvious it was quite awful, and 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 they will see both. Both things, I think, they will examine. Exam, there will be an examination of the of the stadium, apparently. Well, I hope they're going to examine the pitch in Brasilia as well, because the pitch they used during the Copa America in Brasilia was a terrible. Oh, okay. um, but anyway, thank you for that that detail, Andres. Uh, did anybody actually watch Central's matches against Tachira? No, no. I, I thought that that might have been a, a no. I'm uh, I'm committed to South American <laughs> football, but. But not that committed. No, not not committed enough to start watching the whole of the Sudamericana before it gets to no, the semi final no, no. stage or so, at least. No, that's, that's a bridge too far. Indeed. Um, I suspect that we might not all manage to catch their quarterfinals either, because looking at just in terms of, you know, name recognition, which obviously isn't the, the be all and end all, uh, but just looking at it, it's not. Um, the, Red Bull Bragantino are probably the smallest club. You know, in, in terms of name recognition, left in the Sudamericana, I think it's fair to say, right? And I got... think probably one of the main one of the main contenders for the title as well. Yes, of course. Like every other Red Bull team, they're punching way above their weight at the moment due to uh, the power of disgusting tasting sugary water, um, and you know, it gives you wings, as we're frequently told. Um, but they, I mean, they saw off Independiente del Valle, which is no small scalp, especially in Sudamericana terms. They won it against Colón, didn't they? What was that, two years ago? Um, yeah. And they, so, they also um, sent uh, Atletico Mineiro home, sorry, Gremio home in the in the qualifiers for the Libertadores. Mm. Yeah, they're having a very good season. They were up there uh, at the top of the Brasileira as well, a couple of weeks, out oh, the fourth now. So, yeah, still pre- doing pretty good. Yeah. So, you'd have to say that, well, in the Libertadores, we certainly give River a fighting chance against Atletico Mineiro if they're not actually favourites. Um, Central, probably quarterfinals going to be their limit, do we think, against Bragantino? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think so, yeah. The others should all be fairly interesting. I have to admit that the only of the last 16 uh, ties that I watched from the Sudamericana was that I caught most of both legs of Nacional against Peñarol. I suppose it's not really oh, that yes. surprising that that was, that was the, oh, yeah. the one I decided to focus on. Um, including the really quite spectacular biceps of the referee for the second leg. Christ, he was ripped. Yeah, it looks like... Yeah, every, every, and the thing is, uh, Daronco has been around for a while, but every single time he he officiates a game, we can't help but talk about his biceps. I'd, I'd somehow managed to remain oblivious to them until... Well, until then. Um, but yeah, it looks like he's been working out with Tim Visa. He's a magnificent man. <laughs> Two yeah, fairly no, entertaining a, matches as well. Not a magnificent referee from the perspective of an independent fan release, but uh, yeah. Let's, no, let's, let's do it with biceps. I, I think he's probably not that popular with players in, in Brazil either, but who's going to argue with him? <laughs> it's, it's one way of making sure players don't get up in your face, isn't it? I, I, was, I mentioned this on a forum that I post on afterwards, and uh, one of the guys there spends part of each year on, in, in Brazil and pointed me to a couple of YouTube videos of him giving a I think it was refusing to give Hulk a penalty and Hulk very visibly kind of going up to him and trying to crowd him out and then thinking, thinking better of it just as he was getting up to him. And you saw them briefly standing next to each other. And there are not very many referees who make Hulk look like a small, meek little gentleman. Uh, But but Anderson Ronco did. Yeah. What's, what's for the rest of us? In the Hulk can't, uh, can't stand up to him. No, indeed. Um, I'm afraid now then, gents, that it is time to discuss Argentina's representatives at the Olympic Games. Uh, In a way, 
Why does anybody care, right? After we've won the Copa America at last, that's the wait over. And now we can kick up our feet and just not be that bothered. But in another way, obviously, we were hoping that things would go rather better than they have done. Does anybody want to fill us in with the details? Okay, I'm going I'm to talk. <laughs> oh, go on, Tony. Um, well, the, the team lost to um, Australia. Uh, at the beginning of the campaign, then one against Egypt. Correct me if I'm wrong. Then this is the I'll men's get a draw. team we're talking about, I, first of all, right? Yeah, the men's team because the women's team didn't qualify. Of course they the didn't. Olympics. Yes, I was wondering why the <laughs> table was. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then they draw against Spain, which uh, on paper was the favorite of the group, um, but had some difficulties. Uh, sometimes with Spain, that happens. You know that they get to play or, or they focus more on the way of playing rather than getting the results that they may get. Um, so it was a tight group in the end and, and Argentina um, rescued a draw against Spain in the last couple of minutes that could have been a, a win uh, if a penalty was uh, awarded to Argentina um, that will make them qualify for the next round. Uh, that didn't start yet. I think it's this uh, late night today. Uh, or early morning today, uh, sorry, tomorrow, sorry, um, being that Friday, 31 of July. Just yeah, in case. the first, um, first match is Spain against uh, Cote d'Ivoire, five in the morning Argentine time tonight, and it's right. currently 10 past eight. So what's that in about seven hours? No, right. nine hours time. Okay. I'll give that one a miss. Yeah, yeah I think I might as well. I did wake up tomorrow, to, today for the women's, but not for the men's. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the team felt rather um, lack of cohesiveness, especially I think in the defense. Um, they had a lot of trouble uh, covering the, the spaces of the of the fullbacks. Um, to the point of the standout, I think for the for the three games Argentina play was uh, Jeremias Ledesma, the, the, goal, the ex-goalkeeper of Rosario Central, is playing at Elche now, I think. He was um, a Jokovic player too. Sorry? Is that Cadiz? Yeah. Uh, he's oh, okay. the only Jokovic player in the squad as well, which is oh. you know, shocking. Yeah, that, that tells you a lot. I mean, if you put it, put it into comparison, um, Spain struggle having, I don't know, 70% of the squad the, the, the play in the Euros. Um, so if you put that into perspective in a team that didn't have had only one um, over 23-year-old player that was the goalkeeper uh, and you put that into perspective of I know Germany, they had Max Kruse and they still got out too uh, in their own uh, group um, there were a couple of surprises or shocking, shocking results in the Olympics which is kind of the brand of the Olympics um, and the team could have been better, uh, has some flashes of some good football, but most of them were boring, uh, lack of uh, uninspired. Um, and that showed the, in the results in the end that made them uh, leave in, in the growth stage. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's worth taking it all into perspective a little bit, uh, because whenever this kind of thing happens, uh, people who have never watched an under 20 or under 23 or or under 19 game in their lives are very quick to come out and, and make sweeping statements about the state of football and the fact that everything's falling apart and we're doomed for the future and we pretty much might as well give up now. Uh, but I don't think it's that, you know, I don't think it's that valid this time around. Um, possibly it has been in the past. Uh, if you look at Argentina's squad, um, the big problem they had, as Tony mentioned, was just putting a squad together in the first place because a lot of players um, weren't allowed to travel. Uh, Boca and River both put, the, put their foot down and um, and refused to release players to, to go to the Olympics. I mean, they've got uh, the Libertadores to, to worry about, of course, as well, which doesn't help. No, of course. Yeah. So it's not as if the clubs are doing this without good reason. No, they're not doing it out of spite, yeah. but, but it would have helped to have a couple of these guys and... And probably, you know, if you want to take a positive out of this, look into the future, you can point to the fact that I read the other day uh, nine of Argentina's Copa America squads would have been uh, eligible for, for this tournament, mm. including three of the guys, I think Montiel, 
Lautaro Martinez and Cristian Romero, who started the final even in um, Brazil, they, they would all have been um, eligible to play the Olympics. So the players are there, they just weren't there, if you get my drift. Um, it's a pain in the ass. Um, this kind of this group of players has had some some very good results. So we, they got gold in the Pan American Games a couple of years ago. They finished first in the in the pre Olympic qualifying tournament. So you know they had time together. Uh, obviously, over the quarantine and um, and the pandemic, all of that togetherness was pretty much put on the back burner because they weren't able to to play together. Uh, if I remember rightly, they only had a couple of games now uh, before heading out to Japan and very little time to prepare, which is kind of the story, you know, not just for all of the Argentine Olympic delegation, but I think all of the all of the countries involved haven't exactly had an ideal uh, preparation process. So I would say it's disappointing. I watched the Spain game and and they weren't quite as good as Spain, who who benefit, of course, because in, under Spanish law, if the Olympic squad wants you, you have to go. Uh, there's none of this about the clubs saying, um, no, no, we want our players. If they get the call, they've got to go to, uh, to the Olympics. Um, that would be interesting to, to implement here if um, if they can, but that's a question for another day. I thought they could have at least been looking to get to the quarters, but let's try not to panic and and say that everything in Argentine football is going to shit purely on the back of uh, this tournament. Yeah, and I think a little bit... Sorry, Sam. Um, uh, it was in par or in the same level that any other join of any other Argentinian delegation in the Olympics. Uh, oh, yeah. The problems that you mentioned between COVID, lack of funding, lack of time to prepare. Uh, yes. As of now, we have only one medal uh, in rugby. Um, while teams that you will bet would be better uh, or at least perform a little bit better than they're doing right now, like handball or basketball, they're not doing that for of, for those things that were mentioning before. So I think if they keep putting that also into perspective, it's quite on par with the rest of the of the Argentinian representation at, at Tokyo 2020. Yeah, and just, yeah. just looking at the maths as well, I mean, I have to admit that I haven't really watched any of the, the football on, on either side on the Olympics because... There's so much else to watch that I don't normally get to, you know, you don't normally get to see at a high level for free on YouTube, in our case, sitting here in South America. Um, so I've been watching loads of the other sports instead. But I mean, just looking at the maths on, in, in Argentina's, uh, in, in the Group C table, they beat Egypt 1-0 and ended up only going out due to goal difference behind Egypt. If they'd beaten Egypt 2-0, then it would have been Argentina going through on, on goals scored. They, they'd have both finished on a goal difference of zero. Uh, and Argentina would have had more goals for. So it's very fine margins for, for a team who are supposedly, you know, woe is us, disaster, this is the, the end of the national team kind of thing. Yeah, I think we, we should at least have a debate on, you know, how much relevance or importance do we want to give uh, this competition? Because, uh, I mean, looking at the squad, it's that is very, very clear in the sense that... Uh, I mean, as much as uh, Batista and uh, the AFA wanted to to make it clear for, in their efforts to to call, you know, the best possible squad, the, the, the reality is uh, clubs still have a lot of power. So um, I mean, I think it's a it's a debate worth having. In this the sense that do we really want to to strive and have the best squad possible and go for gold once again, just like we did in 2004, 2008? Or do we just put this competition back in the back burner as, as we have always been? Because, I mean, maybe not the... the maybe we, we probably wouldn't have called the names uh, Dan mentioned, but maybe, you know, players who didn't have a lot of minutes in the in the Copa America, like Lisandro Martinez or uh, Julian Alvarez would have, would have been great for the squad. So... Um, I mean, I wouldn't be as, as uh, you know, adamant as uh, well, something like carrying out this Spanish law, which took players who got a lot of minutes in Euro 2020, like Eric Garcia or Pedri or Dani Olmo. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, I mean, we're, we suck and uh, this team has no future, but rather 
how much relevance do we want to give the national team at this stage, in this moment of development? The other thing is just that it's a matter of where the calendar lines up, right? Like, I mean, okay, it's Spanish law. If you're Barcelona or Real Madrid and one of your players gets called up to the Olympic squad, you've got to let them go. I would like to see them try to enforce that if the Olympic football tournament was directly coinciding with the last 16 and the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I mean, it's not as if certain clubs in Spain in particular, you know, I mean, certain clubs in particular in, in every country are averse to bending the law in certain aspects or challenging uh, whether these regulations ought to be there. It just, you know, it happens to be the case that the Olympic football tournament is coinciding with the off-season in Europe and very much not the off-season here in South America. Um, yeah, but still you have a lot of European teams refusing to to give their players away because they have a pre-season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, 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 that's that's kind of backs my point up, really. If, if they're not prepared to let the players go for pre-season, they certainly wouldn't be if they were at the stage of their season that the big Argentine clubs are or have just been in theirs with the league already underway, with the Libertadores getting very much into the business end of it now. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a complication of the, of the calendar and, of course, as well, of, of the fact that football is one of the few sports where the Olympics isn't the absolute pinnacle, um, which is a bit of a pity because, you know, if, from the footballer's point of view, if I was a professional sports person, I'd want to be involved at the Olympics if you have a chance and, you know, We've had it in the past with with Lionel Messi kicking up a big fuss when he was younger over being allowed to play in was it in Beijing? Um, so you know players players do want to join in, but it's got to come again. Yeah, that, it was still one of the best things Guardiola ever did for Messi because I mean that was like hmm. immediately solidified his good relationship with him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you've got a player who wants to, then then great. But it, it's it's also just, you know, the, when do you make the space for it in the calendar? You can't have the Olympics coinciding, obviously. Couldn't have had them coinciding with the Euros or the Copa America. That, wouldn't, that wasn't going to work. The Olympics can't move their calendar around just to satisfy one sport. But equally, the football calendar has to keep going somehow or other. Um, it's complicated. So maybe, the, maybe the solution would be for Commonwealth to not, schedule their fixes oh, absolutely, in yeah. such a fucking stupid way indeed yeah yeah because there's also going to be like a month off between the second leg of the semi-final and the final of the Libertadores I think if I'm not mistaken um, so they could certainly have done this um, in... yeah well, what I would say is that the Brazilian clubs um, were obviously in the same boat and did release their players like uh, Dani Elvis missed mm. both of San Paulo's uh, Libertadores game to, to go play for Brazil in the Olympics, and I'd say he's a lot more important to Sao Paulo than, uh, all due respect, Julian Alvarez is to, is to River. So it, it does depend on the clubs in the end of the day and yeah, how much you're, you're, will you're they so have. Who played a really long season with Everton, then went all the way into Copa America, and now he's starting for Brazil at the Olympics, which is a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot has to do too with just how much shit the respective FAs uh, are willing to put up with um, before putting their foot down. And uh, we all know the AFA is a little a little mouse, basically, when it mm. comes to uh, talking to the, the big clubs, at least, in Argentina. Although even there, you've got local context as well, because the Olympics in, uh, you know, the, the football Olympics in Brazil are a, uh, were a much bigger deal for such a long time than in lots of other countries because of the fact they hadn't won it. And okay, they have now won it, but it's still, you know, I guess there's, to an extent there has to be that kind of memory of the time when it was the one thing that they'd never won. Um, maybe affects it as well. I don't know. That's just speculation. Anyway, moving on, I was about to introduce us to a whole load of listeners' questions because I saw in my notifications that we had five notifications, but most of them are uh, faving and retweeting. So we've only got two questions and they are, Darren Paul says, how long are we giving Pizzi before he gets sacked? I think that, that um, one's for you, Dan. I think Santi said it. He's, he keeps just doing the bare minimum to keep his job. Um, unless something goes seriously wrong and Racing lose three, four or five games in a row, I think he'll stay on until the end of the season and then... They'll probably look for a fresh a fresh face uh, in 2022. Um, I think it also depends on what happens in the next classical, which will actually come in a week or two. 
as a given I win for racing as as per usual these last couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, but 19 of those games came in the 1980s, Santi. So, you know, <laughs> I'm looking at the mo- yeah, more recent why games. Why, why, why is it taking you so long to catch up then? Because it's a long way behind, but the, the recent fixtures suggest that Racing um, have no fear whatsoever when... Uh, when going to visit the neighbours on the building site. Racing's latest chance, I'll just jump in there to catch up, is as Santi said, it's going to come in just over a week on the 8th of August, which is next Sunday. So we will be recording before then. Um, and the other question is from Liam Kelly, who's no relation to me. He says, when will we see Gabriel Heinze back in management after his brief, if not unsuccessful spell in Atlanta? Was it the right decision or did he need more time? I think he'd... Um, just made himself tremendously unpopular with everybody there, hadn't he? More than yeah, yeah, that seems to be uh, the impression I got. I've been talking to a few um, journalists from from up there, and I said, "Yeah, he had some decent ideas, but basically, I think we all know Heinze at this point. He's not the most pleasant of chaps, and you either get him or you don't. Um, clearly, Atlanta weren't used to." Um, to his rather brusque manner and results were terrible as well, which um, which obviously is is what ends up sinking you. Um, he, he told them all they weren't allowed to drink water, didn't they? Yeah, that was, was a little bit of an exaggeration. I think it was taken out of context. It was like they were expected during spring or summer training to go certain stints of time without water to replicate the amount of time they'd have to go about watering matches or or something along something like that. So it's not quite yeah. as horrendous as um, as the headline sounds. And apparently there was something that happened that also happened with Martino back back in the day. And then Martino quickly adapted. I mean, you know the problem with these these guys from the United States, they're all about the unions, uh, workers, workers' rights and stuff. It's just uh, <laughs> very difficult for an Argentine to understand. <laughs> yeah, um, I was reading also that um, in a in a, an article from the Athletic by uh, Felipe Cardenas, I think was the author, that he was talking about um, how he was uh, also very, you know, well, we we already know that in back in from his days managing in Argentina that Hayes' relationship with the press is strained to say the least. Actually, Hayes journalist, just to to make it absolutely clear. And the MLS is a league that's um, been, you know, giving a lot of uh, importance to, you know, the social, uh, the social side of things. They they want to be, become this uh, very established brand, and they have a lot of, you know, work done with the press. And Kane said they not want to do any of that, and that created a lot of risks risks between him and the and the the board, the the Atlanta United board, and then he also fell out with a lot of key players, especially Joseph Martinez. So, you know, it was a lot of things that went ter- terribly, terribly wrong with him. So it was a foregone conclusion to, for him to be sacked. Do we see any Argentine clubs giving him a chance then to sort of try to drag this back onto the subject of Liam's question? Yeah, actually, yeah. actually last time I heard Racing was actually rumoured to be his next destination. Uh, I wouldn't say no. I'm not a fanatic, but uh, he can't make him play any worse, can he? Any change is a good change, then. Something like that, yeah. Uh, That's all of the listeners' questions, but I have one for Tony. Um, And that is to say that when we last recorded two weeks ago yesterday, uh, we mentioned that the women's championship final was taking place during it. I think that I remembered to fill in after the final music uh, the news that San Lorenzo had won the title on a shootout after a 1-1 draw with Boca, having managed, if I remember rightly, it was a stoppage time equaliser. But at the time, Tony, we we said that it was a pity that you weren't involved in that recording because you could have given us a little more detail about, you know, the knockout stage of the championship in particular. Would you mind just sort of quickly going over general impressions from the end of the season uh, in the women's game? Sure. Um, 
Boga had a bit of luck. I think that since and I don't want to take any credit about it, but since the the draw against Racing, um, everybody felt that there were there weren't that that big team that was unbeatable. Um, they they draw against San Lorenzo um, in the penultimate game um, of the of the regular season. Um, so there was there was a blueprint that what that final could have could have uh, been and what happened actually. Uh, and in the semifinal, San Lorenzo beat um, Guayurquiza and Boca beat River. They draw again. I mean, you can see a pattern here that the teams that were um, trashed by Boca uh, got at least a draw to to force the shootout. Um, Boca got lucky on the shootout against River because some of the penalties were actually atrocious, like really bad. Uh, from River, uh, a couple from Boca too, but in the end Boca um, got into the final. And in the final, like you said, uh, a last minute or almost last minute goal um, allowed San Lorenzo to to force the penalty shootout. Before the penalty shootout, um, for some reason, um, the Boca coach, uh, Meloni, decided to sub off Laurino Oliveros, which is part of the national squad or was part of the national squad, um, and in place to Tortolo, Tortolo shoot one of the penalties and got in. But probably the only could could took a penalty of that shootout. Um, but again, like in the male counterpart, some really bad penalty taken uh, from Boca uh, helped San Lorenzo to win the title after five years, if I remember correctly. So they're now heading to Chile to play the Copa Libertadores which is going to take place in October. But um, to go quickly over a couple of other things, um, San Lorenzo will play in Chile, the Copa Libertadores in October. That's going to be stopped for a month. So the final can be played in Uruguay with with the, in between the Sudamericana and Males Libertadores final. Makes no sense. I mean, Chile is already a neutral place. Why do you want to play the final in another country? But well, here we are, Comebol does that kind of things. So Sorenzo will be the representation from Argentina. Uh, and also this week we have the news that Carlos Borrello was um, moved to coordinator of the women's national team. So the new manager of the Argentinian national team will be Germán Portanova, which was the manager of Guayurquiza. Uh, they got into the semifinals on this tournament on the previous one and won the two before. He knows a lot of players. He knows La Roquette, Hipólito, uh, Mili Menendez, um, they were under his tutelage before in, in Guayurquiza. So it's a welcome change. Uh, the idea of the um, of this um, change of manager will be to qualify both to the World Cup, that's going to be playing in Australia and New Zealand, since there are going to be more places up to grabs. And also, the idea, or from what I'm told, it's to qualify for the Olympics, which is going to be tough. I don't want to say impossible, but tough. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. There's some other things regarding transfers and whatnot, but we can go over another recording next week or the week um, past that one because that's when the tournament, the second um, part of the of the season, is going to be uh, starting. Excellent. So we've got... There's not too much of a big gap then between seasons because I think... If I remember rightly, over the summer there was an enormous gap, wasn't there, between one season ending and the next yeah. one beginning? Yeah, yeah, Wonderful. it's going to be a couple of weeks only. Yeah, lovely. Right. Well, um, if no one has anything to add, then I think it's time for Mystic Sam's predictions for this weekend. Okay, this weekend's football begins on Saturday. That's why we're recording on a Friday night. Uh, and it kicks off with Colón against Godoy Cruz. So I'm going to go for a Colón win there, although they've been in fairly indifferent form so far. I think Lanús will beat Union. Racing versus Sarmiento is going to be a Racing win. And Platense versus Independiente uh, looks like an Independiente win to me. On Sunday, Defensa y Justicia will 
draw at home to Gimnasia. Tacheres will lose at home to Boca, who I believe are going to be back with the first team this weekend. River are going to beat Huracan, and San Lorenzo will continue their storming start to the season uh, with a narrow win, I think, over Banfield. And then on Monday, we have no fewer than five matches. Patronato versus Newells should be a draw, I think. Argentinos versus Central Cordoba should be an Argentinos win. Central versus Aldo Civi. I'll go for a Rosario Central win there. Estudiantes will beat Arsenal in La Plata. And Atletico Tucumán versus Vélez will be a draw to wrap things up. Um, any fixtures that you're particularly looking forward to this weekend, gents? I mainly agree with the with the with the uh, predictions, but I, I think Boca will have their first team, or probably will have. I think Stigluso didn't decide exactly the, the team he will put for the game against the Shepherds, but the, the one who for sure won't be there is Bastian Bisha, who decided to go away. Uh, he uh, took all of his belongings and he just left. Really? What's the story behind that? I hadn't heard of this. Um, apparently, the, the vocal board members of well, the Consejo de Football, that Riquelme and Cassini and, and all, all the other members, uh, didn't respect what Bicha, what they pr- promised to Bicha, which was that when a, a, a promising offer would appear, they would accept that offer. And apparently, Brug from Belgium uh, made three offers, and the third was most more acceptable or, or, or quite decent and and still then Boca didn't accept that offer and that's why Bisha just got angry and, and apparently won't won't be back I assume. Oh so he's trying to force a move rather than yes. being out of contract. Yes. Interesting. We'll have to wait and see what happens there then. Uh thank you for that, Andres. I, as I said I hadn't heard about that at all. Um anyway that's it for this week so i think with that we shall say thank you and goodbye from andres thank you goodbye from english dan goodbye from tony goodbye from santi see you around and from me thank you and goodbye